You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we cover the last 7 to 10 days in the world of Apple news, reviews, rumours, roundup, gossip, tech and, well, basically... Anything else that catches our eye, this is the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello everybody. Yes, this is indeed another episode. This weekend, uh, Mark is not available, he's tied up doing other things, so I am joined by Bob Wood, the MyMac reviewer, a member of the Tucson Mug. So, hi Bob. Good morning, Simon, from sunny Arizona. Yeah, well, I've got snow on the ground here. Not much by uh, American standards, maybe three quarters of an inch, but it's blinking cold. That's why I moved to Arizona. <laughs> yeah, well, the land of endless sunshine, I'm told. Pretty much. Uh, there we go. Well, thank you for coming on, Bob. Thank you very much. Uh, and this week, we've got quite a lot of stories. But first of all, of course, I have to do the usual thing. Well, you've already told me what the weather's like, so we can skip over that very British question. Um, tell us about yourself, Bob. Well, I've been a uh, Macintosh User Group member since the early 90s. Last week, you had Bob Levitis on your show, and he's the one who introduced me to the concept of the Mac user group through his book, Dr. Macintosh, lo these many years ago. And I found one where I lived at that time and joined it. A few years later, a few months later, I found myself as one of the officers. Then yeah, that moved tends to happen, from, doesn't it? That tends to happen. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those situations where you're the only one who does not stake, take a step backward when they ask for volunteers. Yeah, that's the one. And All of a sudden... Other. All of a sudden, you're leading the charge. As the old joke goes, everyone whose mother is still alive, step forward. Not so quick, Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. And so moved from snowy Wisconsin to sunny Arizona and haven't uh, missed my snowblower one bit since I moved. No, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that that's something you are well short of. I am, besides being a user group officer. I am also a Macintosh trainer and consultant and a web designer and a photographer. Nice. Photography, I have to say, is one thing that I really have never got into at all, despite the fact that nearly everybody in Mac user group seems to be a photographer, as well as whatever else they do. But that's one thing I've never got into. But there you go. Yeah. So um, and, and what do you do for a job, Bob? Or are you retired now? Well, that um, website design and photography and computer consulting are my self-employed job. Uh, I am semi-self-unemployed. <laughs> yeah, as that's what uh, Dr. Bob said, wasn't it? Uh, I found myself to be self-unemployed, very much so. Let's have a look at some stories, shall we? Are there any that take your particular fancy? Well, the, f the first one you have listed about the new event for Apple on March 27th was one that I didn't know about until I was going over your show notes. And that sounds like it's going to be interesting. Uh, uh, hopefully it's a good education focused event. Yeah. It, um, I think it was announced either Friday or probably Friday, to be honest, because I don't think they announced things on a Saturday, but that was really, you know, last minute one. Um, there's been a lot of pontificating already, of course. Uh, a lot of people are saying because it's in Chicago, it's probably going to be education focused. Also, of course, the title, Let's Take a Field Trip, kind of indicates that it's uh, going to be education focused. A lot of people have been predicting all sorts of uh, hardware announces, announcements. Not so sure about that. I could see possibly a lower cost um, iPad, possibly with a, a, a limited kind of pencil. You know, rather than a full-blown pro, because that's top dollar, I'm wondering if maybe they're going to produce some kind of lower-cost iPad, but with pencil support. I think that would be a wonderful entry point for the education market. And uh, thinking about the old eMac, maybe they would call this the ePad. That's exactly what I thought. Yes, and maybe with a sort of, um, I don't know, a, a, you know, a less capable pencil, as it were. 
paper, but still a, a still a pencil in order to try and keep the costs down. Um, the of course the, as the criminology of uh, Apple invites. Uh, if you've seen the invite, it it the apple is drawn in a kind of calligraphic style with a it swoops in and draws the logo and then swoops out again as if it's been done with a calligraphic pen in one line, which is very clever. Uh, a lot of people are saying that almost certainly indicates something to do with pencil because that's well very much what you can do with the pencil so uh other than that i i don't know it's in chicago which seemed a little odd but they've held events before didn't they um was it the ibook that was in new york i think because it was I, about I, publishing i don't remember the uh, launch for the ibook but no, the I, the iBooks, not not the iBook itself. The i the iBooks, uh, you know, the electronic books, Apple's iBooks, which they they introduced and uh, at that event they had a thing very much. They introduced the, the iBook Maker, and uh, it was aimed at that point very much at uh, teachers being able to produce textbooks. So on. There's also been a lot of talk recently about a new MacBook or a MacBook Air or a low end MacBook. Maybe this is something that they're going to talk about as well at the March event. Yes, yes there, there has maybe. been a lot. You're right there. A lot of talk about a, a, you know, a sort of lower end MacBook Air. Um, again, that could be if they could get the price down low enough. I think that could be a that could be a possibility. I mean, several people have predicted the end of the MacBook Air, including me. I will be honest. Um, but you know, there's the MacBook, and the MacBook Air is a bit of a leftover. But I, I guess if they could keep the cost down, they could use that as an um, an education model. Um, they might be loath to let it out to the public, but if you remember the old eMac, of course. Uh, of course. When when <laughs> when that came out, it was alleged to be education only, and uh, Mac Mac users were so uh, adamant to have one. In the end, I think uh, Uncle Steve gave in and and let the rest of us have access to it, and that was a very popular and successful product, I believe. It was. Yeah. I, I know a few people who had them. Yeah, so, but it was a nice machine, wasn't it? It was like a 17-inch uh, iMac of the time. Mm -hmm. Very nice machine. Um, so maybe maybe it'll be eMacBook, <laughs> which yeah. would be better than MacBook E. Yes, indeed. You're right. Uh, yes, uh, who knows? Uh, as always with these things, no one ever knows. Everybody pontificates and guesses and speculates and reads the... Uh, no, reads the chicken's entrails, but the truth is we won't find out until uh, whoever's there comes out on the stage. Again, I've done, I'm not, I don't know if there's any particular reason why Chicago, but do you have any? any? Uh, the only thing I can think of is it might tie into their <clears throat> anyone can code initiative. If they went to a school that had particular success with the anyone can code uh, system and they had a lot of successful people there maybe that's why they would go to chicago actually thinking now now you say that i've got feeling that i read somewhere that apple have a deal with the chicago um education district so maybe that's something to do with it that could be chicago has been known for its deals since the uh time of the mobsters <laughs> i'm gonna make you an offer you cannot refuse <laughs> you will buy macbooks <laughs> Correct. Or you might find a horse's head. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let's not spend too long on that. I guess that's... Uh, we will see. March the 27th is just round the corner. I'm sure I will be e eagerly perched on the uh, on the couch waiting for Apple TV to bring it up live because, of course, if it's, if it's Apple's normal kind of uh, time, it will be early evening here. So that's ideal mm -hmm. viewing for me. Uh, right, and of course, also they've announced the Worldwide Developers Conference, which will be uh, beginning on the 4th of June. Um, I don't think anybody was really surprised by that. I think everybody picked that long in advance. Um, and they're having it in uh, San Jose again down the road from Cupertino. Um, so, um, I mean, that will be the usual, I guess. There'll be uh, talk of iOS 12 and uh, whatever the next uh, Mac OS is going to be named. Higher Sierra, perhaps. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I never did like the term High Sierra. Just yeah. this reference might be lost on the <laughs> other than American our, uh, audience, but I, I always thought of High Karate, which was a retired yeah. men's cologne <laughs> yes. at the at the time. Yes, I remember that. High Karate. 
uh, yeah, who knows what it will be named, but um, no doubt we'll hear all about that. And uh, yet again, we've heard all sorts of rumours that they're going to concentrate on bug squashing and not have a load of huge flashy features. Um, and again, possibly some more hardware. But... Well, yeah, there's always a possibility of new hardware. For iOS 12, one of the things I'd like to see, well, if there's an, uh, an iPad with Face ID, I'd like to see in iOS 12 the fact that you could register two faces yes. for Face ID. Yes, because on the iPhone you can't, can you? You can only register one face, which is compared is a slight setback compared to Touch ID because with Touch ID you've got 10, 10 slots for fingerprints, haven't you? So you, you, can, might... you can register you know, your thumbprint and your spouse's thumbprint or whatever. My personal situation is my wife is an artist who sells at art fairs. And I go there as the art fair slave <laughs> and alternate uh, checkout boy. And on her iPad, which she uses for the credit card purchases, I need to get in there after it's gone to sleep and take a set, a, set it up for the credit card transaction. And if I had to enter a password every time, it would be it would take longer. Yes, yes, it'd be a bit, a bit of a bag to coin uh, a phrase. Uh, yes, that is something uh, I think a lot of people have, have muttered quite a lot about iPads not supporting multiple accounts anyway, because much as Apple would like everybody to buy their own iPad, that's not how it works for a lot of families, is it? An iPhone is a very personal device, um, but the iPad quite often is shared amongst several siblings or a couple and so for a long time people have been crying out for apple to do you know multiple account support but so far they seem to have resisted well i hope they bring it out because that would be important for the education market as yes, well that's also uh, a thought isn't it for education market you're going to probably not have one one uh, e-pad per, per pupil so maybe that will finally bring us multiple uh, user support for i which would be nice very much so uh well there we go so that's two things to look forward to march the 27th and then uh june the 4th a little bit further away well those will be the same as ever i'm sure and we'll all be glued to the keynote see what uh sparkly things are coming in the later in the year uh and i guess we're all very much hoping to hear more about the mac pro yes yes i used to be a mac pro buyer but it has i was i was a mac pro buyer because of multiple monitor support back in the cheese grater days and the G3 days. But now that the iMac can do multiple monitor support so easily, that's plenty of computer for me. But I yep. know there's a market out there for it. Yep, that, that's very true. Um, I I have had Mac Pros in the past. I had a, a G5 cheese grater. Um, and then after that, I had one of the uh, multi-core cheese grater ones. Uh, and they were very nice. But when they went to the uh, little trash can, uh, that was not, not for me at all. And for work, I recently got a 5K 27-inch iMac and then connect the second monitor. I found I found. The second monitor is something like air conditioning and power locks in your car. Once you have it, you don't want to be without it. No, once once you go there, you'll never really go back. I don't think. Uh, you know, uh, it, even if the second monitor is is small, you know, I found that even if you've got a fifteen inch monitor as a second monitor, you can use it. It's so handy to put you know, uh, pallets or mail notes or all sorts of things. So you can keep your main screen for actual working on and all the clutter goes on the other monitor. And uh, yeah, once you do it, you never want to go back to working on one monitor. Definitely not. Well, what shall we have a look? Uh, of course, the audit of supply chain partners found increased labour violations. Um, this one's a little bit old because we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Uh, last week, but um, a lot of a lot of the uh, news reporting on this took a fairly negative view of it, saying um, you know there were more labour violations found in the audit. But I've I've read through it, and actually I I don't think it was that bad. There were more more violations were found, but it would appear that that's because Apple audited more of their suppliers. They've you know increased the percentage of their suppliers who get audited at any one time so i thought that was you know, the negative view of that seemed slightly well, biased to me apple has always been an easy target for the for the press because it's so big 
but I, I certainly agree with you, Simon. I think the operative word there is found. They found more violations. Well, were there more violations or did they just look a little harder or uh, I think able to find some? I think they, they looked more, they looked harder. And also, apparently, there were um, quite a lot of new suppliers who'd been brought on board in the last year or so. So some of those, I think, were trying to get away with uh, things they shouldn't be. But I, I think the big thing is that Apple even do an audit. You know, they do an audit and they publish it. And if there are things in it that are not right, they promised to get on the case and fix them. Um, if you read the audit, you know, there were several companies that they found uh, you know, doing things that Apple say are not uh, acceptable. And those that had done things bad enough were, right, well, that's it. You're out. Sorry. You're kicked off. So I think that, I think that also dovetails with Apple and cobalt mining, that they're trying to source their even something as basic as something that comes out of the earth that is mined, trying to source it responsibly. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, it's the blood diamond of the uh, tech industry almost. Yeah, I mean, it, we all know that a lot of these things, it's been brought up before that whether it's copper or, uh, you know, germanium or, or any of these things that often they come from places where people get exploited and Apple are very much... Uh, and they're not the only ones who are doing it, of course, but they're they're very much trying to cut out as much of that as they can. Because if they're, like with the cobalt mining, if they go direct to a mine and say, right, we're going to buy, you know, hundreds or thousands of tons of ore from you directly, but, you know, you have to uh, abide by these rules. And if not, we're going to take the business away. I think that gives them a lot of leverage to say no child workers, no nobody working more than, I don't know, 50 hours a week or whatever the hell it is. So I think that's because I think Apple profess publicly that they want to do these things. It does make them an easy target when some somebody finds something going on that is not considered good enough. It, it's an easy it's an easy stink to pick up, isn't it? And say, oh well, you know, look at Apple. They're not they're not doing what they say. But I don't think that's the case. If if some if one of our suppliers are not doing what they're supposed to do, uh, fair enough. But uh, you know, Apple do and have removed people from their supply chain for violating their their terms. So what more can you do? Really, it's it's the you've committed a you have committed an offence which we consider to be worthy of instant dismissal. You're out. Um, again, again, I agree. Apple is trying to do what it can, and it's hard to move ancient societies and cultures away from what they have been doing in the past to being more responsible citizens of the world. So that that was that. Uh, that was a little uh, a little. Uh, it was I won't say it was a little disappointing in parts to read. The, the links in the show notes. Uh, the the headlines that went with it, wherever it was reported, tended tended to be fairly negative. But when I actually read through it, it it wasn't bad. It, Apple uh, admitted that there were things going wrong, and where they were going wrong, they were committing to fix them. So there we go. Uh, and talking of things that are going wrong, haha! Look at that. What a seamless seamless segue. <laughs> Uh, seamless segue. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard, of course, there's these people complaining that the, the MacBook with the super low travel key, uh, you know, is prone to getting jammed or broken or uh, stop working because of dust slash biscuit crumbs uh, getting into the keyboard. Uh, and uh, Apple Patent has revealed a dust and spill proof keyboard to keep you typing fast. Uh, I picked this up on, on Inverse, but it was reported in several places. Uh, and there were several patents, basically, uh, if you follow the link and read it, some really quite complicated <laughs> engineering that Apple appeared to be working on to make keyboards dust and spill proof. Um, about time, really, I suppose. But if you start looking at the you start looking at the patents, uh, it's pretty complex stuff. They've got patents for things with sort of um, gates. You know, uh, dust gates and things with what would you call them uh, kind of grommet seals and all sorts it's uh, I know all these things that Apple patent you know they don't always come to they don't always come to fruition but it's an interesting read actually that one well it, it is interesting and Apple has has made several missteps in the past and they've always worked to try to fix them in subsequent generations uh, 
Um, the most glaring example that comes to mind is the hockey puck mouse, oh, yeah. which was <laughs> which was terrible. Yeah, it, it looked good. Uh, it, it looked good, and it was um, you know took nice photographs, didn't it? Nice, but especially next to the the original iMac. You know, there was this rounded, transparent iMac, and then a rounded, transparent mouse, which, yeah, if you remember, had a a, a piebald ball in it, half half mm-hmm. white and half blue. Uh, in the days when I still had those rubber balls in them, um, but it was horrible. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it, was it? It was absolutely awful to use uh, because it was difficult to tell which way round it was, and uh, because also it was quite light, and the wire had a tendency to pull it in different directions. So when you picked it up, it wasn't the way that you left it. Uh, no, that was a, probably the I, I would say the hockey puck mouse is probably the one of the worst things Apple ever released and uh, yeah sorry Johnny your industrial design is often brilliant but that one was a fail <laughs> well like you said it looked good it just wasn't usable uh, as well as it should be no I mean it was you know it wasn't unusable but it was just not a great experience and I think most people who had an iMac rapidly replaced that with something else um, of course one of the benefits of uh, of that time was changing to USB meant you could just go and get another USB mouse whereas uh, all time before that you had to have an ADB mouse and that pretty meant pretty much meant you went with Apple's mouse or suffered the the move to USB sure made a lot of things more interchangeable. Yeah, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I like Apple's keyboards personally, but it, it does mean that, you know, it has meant since USB, it, if you want a different type of keyboard or something happens to your keyboard and you can't afford Apple's somewhat high-watering prices, you can, you know, run down the supermarket and get a $10 keyboard and plug it in. Or, or of course, of course, I've had the you know, situations here where kids have knocked their drink over the keyboard and that's, that's the end of that one. Um, and in the short term, you can run down to the supermarket and buy a replacement until you afford to buy something better. So, yes, that's, that's, that was uh, Apple letting go a bit there, I think. Uh, so that anyway, there you go. Apple have patented a whole load of technologies for preventing dust and spills and biscuit crumbs getting into your keyboard. Whether that will ever uh, come to market in some way, I don't know, but it would be good. Uh, it would be very good. I think we could, we'd all be glad to have keyboards that don't collect crumbs and dust and fluff and all the other crud that they have a tendency to pick up. Of of course, I never you know eat. Uh biscuits or cookies in front of my computer so i never have uh problems <laughs> crumbs getting into my in my keyboard well there was a there was a particular keyboard um one of the it was the last white plastic keyboard i think which i also always referred to as the crumb tray because it the keys were in a clear plastic tray you remember that one yeah i remember that one you could see you could see oh yeah there's some uh, some of those crumbs and oh that was my lunch from yesterday over there yeah no, that, was, that was uh that was again it looked good when it was new but after a few months it did not look so good. well of course of course johnny you know he can afford to have a new one every week if he spills something on it yeah oh no i've dropped cookie crumbs in my keyboard me pee on bring me a new keyboard <laughs> off with his head yeah there we go uh well what else we got uh there's quite a lot of things going on this week uh on the security front uh this one broke uh i don't know maybe friday maybe yesterday the gray key bot used by law enforcement to unlock iphones um apparently they have a bot that you can plug they can plug an iphone into and it will uh basically break the code and give them access to uh locked iphones and they're saying this works on all iphones um i have reason to believe that this is true this device is for law enforcement only by the way and of, and of course the bad guys the evildoers will never get their hands on one because it says for law enforcement only well i if you read the article uh you read the article the manufacturers of this device uh i don't know what they call gray something or other uh it's 15 you can have one for 15 grand or you can have one for 30 grand um if if you have the 15 grand one it has to be connected to the internet and it's geofenced so that if somebody did break into a police station or whatever and steal it once it's outside the uh, designated area it doesn't work and the uh, 
30 grand one uh, apparently needs a special dongle which if you don't have the dongle it doesn't so uh, you know that's something uh, i'm more interested in the um thing i mean they say they can break a four digit pin uh, i think in the under two hours uh apple doesn't allow four digit pins now does it everything's six digits um and they say a six digit pin can take up to three days so um no matter how it works i'm pretty sure with my uh 12 character complex password going to take them a bloody long time i i i'm still using a four digit pin and i know i shouldn't but and when i have touch id there's really no reason for it it's just that that's what i've had since the first pin yeah and i guess i guess i need to change that i must admit that um from the second ios allowed you to have complex passcodes i went in and flipped switch and i've used a proper you know long password uh, ever since and uh, of late since touch id i've made my passwords longer um as the current the current thinking on passwords seems to be that you can forget all this upper lower number special malarkey that's that was that, that advice was kind of based on humans trying to infer or guess your password um but now that's not really your threat your real threat is is computers and brute forcing technique um in which case the longer your password the better um and even if it is made up of simple dictionary words if you've got a 20 character uh, passcode brute forcing that is going to take an awfully long time so uh, not that i have anything to hide and i don't suppose you do really no, Bob. no. <laughs> i'm pretty sure if uh, you know somebody with legal validity said to me unlock your phone for me uh, i would probably do so but they'd have to have a good reason but yeah. no, i don't have anything to hide but uh, interestingly uh, one of the things that uh, in andy j uh, dougie in the slack room said is that he, in his experience uh, even even many criminals he's investigated have rubbish passwords well so you if know. You, you know if you're if you're a let's say if you're a you know pablo escobar i think it would behove you to have a very long password <laughs> And he, and he might be smart enough to do that, but most criminals are looking for the easy way to make a buck and the easy way to get into their phone. Yeah, so there you go. But that's my advice: have a very long password. Um, I've taken to you know, I've taken to using uh, poems, poetry, or lines from songs. Uh, I suspect if you use two lines out of uh, two lines out of uh, Jabberwocky, you'd be doing quite well. <laughs> So, uh, and leading on from people, uh, but the grey box thing, anyway, we're going to have to, at the moment, nobody's quite sure what the exploit is that they're using, because obviously they're not going to let that on, but uh, whether it's a, some sort of hardware hack or or not, is not quite clear, but I'm sure that will come to light. Uh, will be interesting story to follow. Um, and uh, we might hear more on that story from... Uh, from Dougie, uh, what is it, whatever he's allowed to tell us, of course. That would be interesting. Uh, well, of course, you know, within uh, the rules of what he's allowed to tell us due to his job, but uh, we go. Uh, and, of course, on security, 50 million Facebook profiles were harvested for Cambridge Analytica in a major data breach. Uh, the story I've got here is from The Guardian, um, but you can find it all over the web, of course. Uh, this, this is a very sordid tale. Um, involving allegedly Russian influence and companies within companies belonging to other companies uh, harvesting stuff from Facebook and then using it to target political ads, apparently. Um, and made more sordid by the fact that Facebook uh, denied and denied and denied that it happened. Um, Cambridge Analytica uh, are tweeting that everything uh, alleged is false. Uh, it's a very sordid tale indeed. Um, have, you, have you read any of that, Bob? Have you? Uh, I haven't read about the latest report of a, a breach to Facebook, but it's almost not too surprising. Uh, you know, there's always somebody who wants to get where they're not supposed to be because they think that's going to help them make a make a buck yeah uh well i i i, I can't say i've studied it at great depth but i've read two or three stories of it and i've been following 
you know, I've been following it on Twitter as various people post things. And uh, there's a, it's all very grey. You know, Facebook uh, have tried to deny that it was a breach because uh, Cambridge Analytica had permission to access certain, uh, you know, certain amount of, of profiles for their research. But Facebook said they didn't know that they were then selling it on. And I know it's all like, it's like, it's like kids in the play, playground at the minute. They're all pointing the fingers at each other saying, well, I told you you could have some cookies, but I didn't tell you you could give cookies to Bob. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's all very, uh, and it's no good is going to come out of it. I don't think anybody is going to come out of that looking very good at all. Facebook are going to be shown to not really care what they do with your data um, and that they're, well, and that they've paired in the past. I mean, now they say that they've barred Cambridge Analytica because they didn't know they were doing this and they didn't. It's like, well, surely if you're letting somebody have access to your data, you should be making sure that they're not breaking the rules. Uh, no one's going to come out of that looking very cool. And it's all tied up as well with this Russian uh, Russian influencing the election politics. So that's going to be very sordid indeed. And all the politicians across the uh, world are going to, you know, stand up and bluster and, oh, we need an investigation. We need more laws. Uh, sometimes it's just a fact that we need to enforce the laws we have. Yeah, that's very much. There'll be a, there'll be a lot of calls to you know, restrict this or the government will have to uh, have oversight of all your data. Oh, really? Because you're, be you're better at keeping our data than Facebook. Right? I'm not sure I trust you to have it any more than I trust Facebook. That's that's very true. They uh, There's an awful lot of holes in government as well. Oh, yes. Um, and let's just say not everybody who seeks power is a person who should suitable habits. <laughs> oh, that's my view oh, on that one. Oh, I don't know about that. They're all good people and they just want to do the best they, they can for their constituents. All selfless, aren't they? Well, I wish I could believe that, Bob. I'm sure very. I'm sure that very, very many politicians really are that. Particularly those probably, you know, back, what we'd call backbenchers and not not the big names. I think there are probably very many selfless politicians at all levels, you know, from local government up, who who do do it for the right, uh, you know, the right reasons. But unfortunately, it seems to be those who are more ruthless and uh, less moral who climb the greasy pole to the top. That's very true. A certain amount of absolute power corrupts the loop, I think. Well, uh, what else have we got? Uh, I'll tell you what, Bob. Let's take a break and we'll have a word from John Nemo, shall we? Sounds good to me. Okay, take it away, John. Two new audio products at Nemo's hardware store this week. First one is called iRig Mic HD2. I'll spell that for you. I R I G M I C H D 2. The number 2 costs $130 in the US. It's a new product from our friends at ikmultimedia.com. I K M U L T I M E D I A ikmultimedia.com. We will have the links for both of these items in our show notes here at Essential Apple Podcast. The iRig Mic HD2 is $130 in the U.S. It's a traditional full-size microphone with a conventional mic head at the end. It comes with a stand, a nice short stand, with a screw-in adapter at the top for sliding the mic in, and it has two cables, one for USB, such as into a computer, and the other for lightning, such as into an iPad or an iPhone. I'm testing it now on my MacBook Pro. This is the very first time I've used the iRig Mic HD2. Prior to today, and just about all of my podcast recordings and reviews for Essential Apple, I've been using the iRig Mic Studio. Excuse the similar name. That's a much more portable compact mic called the iRig Mic Studio that costs $180. That also includes cables for lightning as well as USB. This is less expensive, larger, more conventional in appearance, and after this recording is done, we will listen to it and hear how it sounds, compared to how I normally sound doing the Nemo's Hardware Store episodes. I have a lot of experience podcasting and a lot of experience with the audio products from IK Multimedia. 
I have confidence it will be a good product. There was a review at Tidbits, and so you can look that up if you want. But more important is it's got a solid build, very nicely constructed, looks super professional, and will go everywhere you go as long as you're using a handheld mic or this stand or any other stand that's compatible with its roughly one-inch semi-rounded shape. Please look at the links on the website. So more to report on the iRig Mic HD in a future show. We've just unwrapped it from the box and did a commando test recording. The other product is at the opposite end of the price spectrum, but way up there in the quality spectrum. It costs $60 in the U.S. The company is Tribit Audio, T-R-I-B-I-T-A-U-D-I-O, TribitAudio.com. The headphones are called the Tribit X-Free Tune Wireless Headphones, X-F-R-E-E-T-U-N-E. Tribit X-Free Tune Wireless Headphones. These are over-ear, black, conventional-style headphones with good Bluetooth connectivity to your iPhone and iPad. They also come with a cable if you want to listen to them using a conventional audio cable. The audio quality is slightly superior using the Bluetooth wireless audio than with the wired audio. Comfort, let's put them on. Comfort and weight and build quality are very good. They do not rotate. They're not like DJ headphones, but they do fold up into a very compact size. No case or tote is included. But by the way, there is a carrying case that IK Multimedia does provide for the microphone that we are testing, the iRig Mic HD2. So that does come with a carrying case, but these Tribit X-Free Tune over-ear headphones do not. But for $60, they sound really good. And I'll be reviewing both of these over at MyMac.com in a few weeks. So if you want a more detailed review with photographs and written descriptions, that's the place to go. Back next week. Thank you, John, uh, for another excellent hardware store. And this is where I usually do the bit about the Amazon affiliate link. If you uh, go to our website and follow the Amazon affiliate link and then buy whatever it is you're going to buy, doesn't have to be anything from the show, uh, we get a small kick. Uh, I'm not sure if it's actually working at the moment, but do it anyway. You never know. We might get a few pennies to support the show. Uh, we also, of course, have a Patreon and we have a Pinecast Hits Jar if you would like to help us out with the cost of producing our show. And now, after that announcement, we shall go back to the regular programming. <laughs> Right, uh, Bob, so yes. uh, what what story would you like to have a look at next? I'll let you pick. How about the refurbished high-end iPhones? Oh, yes, yes, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. The uh, This one was on Apple Insider. Um, the story is basically that uh, the refurbished iPhone market is basically squeezing out uh, cheap new Android phones. People are choosing, uh, if they feel they cannot afford, you know, a, a brand new iPhone, um, you know, and let's face it, it the, the 10 can stretch to all the way up to about $1,300 or so. Uh, they're opting to buy older refurbished iPhones uh, and that it's apparently crushing the sale of cheaper Androids, which, uh, you know, the sort of budget budget iPhone market. Um, and unfortunately, the link I've got is now returning a 404, which is not very helpful, is it? <laughs> but um, no, that's, I don't know if that's surprising or not. Um, well, it seems like it's a it's a it's a good way for Apple to increase their market share by not selling something. They've, they've been known to cannibalize their own market on, on occasion, but this way it seems to increase the market share at Android's express expense rather than their own. Plus, it's also a greener way to recycle an iPhone. It's always better to reuse something than even to recycle it. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I, I do know, uh, and, and it comes up time and time again on, on this podcast and others, uh, that you'll hear over and over 
that those of us who you know are lucky enough to uh, be able to afford you know the latest shiny uh, be it you know an 8 or a 10 uh you know our older phones don't you know they don't get discarded uh, you know they're usually passed on to a, a spouse or you know a relative or a parent uh, children of course i mean in my family um currently you know my wife has the 8 i have the 7 um my boy has my old 6 um, I think my daughter has the my wife's uh, 6s. Um, but you know what I mean. These these phones, we, they don't die after two years. So um, you hear it on all sorts of podcasts that you know their people pass their older phones on to other people. And to be honest, most of these phones will keep going for a long time. I mean, I can't remember what is the oldest phone that is will run the current os i can't remember if it is it the 4s or has the 4s finally dropped off i i don't know uh simon i think it is i think it's five or five s right but but you know you're talking quite quite old you have to go back quite a long way and really i would say an iphone only really dies if you like when it won't run the latest os and in fact even if it probably runs the previous os that's probably still a viable phone for a lot of people um it only really falls off doesn't it when you start trying to download things from the app store and it says this isn't compatible with your device or this isn't compatible with your os so i mean you know i would say these phones will run for you know most of them you get a good five years out of them one of the things that interests me is both my wife and I have iPhones, but we have iPhone SEs. We're not real phone-centric. We're more iPad and, and above iPad and Mac-centric. But, of course, we want phones so we can find each other in the mall or or uh, whatever. But we don't need a whole lot of data. We don't need a whole lot of power. But if the possibility comes up, instead of buying something brand new, buying last year's model at a, a considerably reduced price, Apple refurbished, which probably means it's got a new battery. I think that might be, might well be where we're headed next time we change phones. Mm. Um, as as the link is, is is now dead, unfortunately, I can't check. But of course, there are also a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of third parties. There are companies like Gazelle and and people like that who will buy your old iPhone. And I'm, assu- I'm assuming those are mostly refurbished and resold. So I I know for a fact that if I if I go down into the town, there's a there's a a shop there called the Trade In, which is a sort of I don't know. It, I wouldn't call it a pawn shop because it's not, but um, it, it's that kind of place you can take things you don't want uh you know and he will buy them from you and then resell them uh particularly electronics so you you, know, you can go in there and buy secondhand playstations and cameras and phones and he always has a huge number of phones you know apple watches um and a lot of people do go in there because you can buy people will go in there and buy a 5s or a 6 because they want an iPhone, but they they can't afford um, a new one. So the the real part part of this story just seems to be that you know Apple still has a luster that people will be drawn to rather than the cheaper slew of Androids, of which there are hundreds. You know, you can look online and you look up Android phones, particularly some of these ones from people like uh, Huawei and um, Xiaomi, and there are you know they produce some really good looking phones and with really good specs for the price uh but somehow people i don't know if people are getting tired of android or the the stories about malware and 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 things are scaring them off but it just seems i you know and don't get me wrong android we all know android hold a majority share of the market and i'm sure in places like china and uh you know what uh what the analysts call more price sensitive market uh you know there's not really any surprise that android holds the upper hand but it seems that even where that's the case people uh, you know somehow aspire to get an iphone and that the you know that this big backlog of um second-hand iphones is is apparently you know for many people more desirable than an, you know an older iphone is more desirable than a new mid-range android i i would agree and I think that's evidenced by the fact of I see an awful lot of people, you see everybody with a smartphone these days, but an awful lot of people have iPhones and then they put it in a case 
with a hole in the back so you can see the Apple logo so everybody can know yeah see i have an apple phone yeah yeah i do notice that a lot you, you know people will put, do put cases on and you're right there are an awful lot of them that uh, you know deliberately have a hole in the back so you can see the apple so um yeah i'm i, I guess that's just apple is considered aspirational maybe i don't know but there we go how how that will really affect the market going forward i don't know but uh i'm not an analyst um but i i, I would say that that's a good story for apple you know that refurbished iphones keep going for a long time and that's that's good for everybody really less e-waste less uh, better for the environment better for everything yes uh well uh i'll tell you what we've got one here uh, talking about batteries and uh and green uh the world's first rechargeable proton battery which requires uh zero lithium um i picked this up on uh inhabitat.com i'm not quite sure where i've got the link from um scientists have created the first working rechargeable proton battery uh designed as an environmentally friendly alternative to lithium batteries uh it can even store more energy with further develop uh this was uh, developed uh, at rmit university um and the professor who developed it says our latest advance is a crucial step towards cheap sustainable proton batteries uh, i've no idea what that actually means uh, that can help meet our future energy needs without further damaging our fragile environment um it relies on water and carbon instead of lithium apparently uh Currently, a small-scale scale prototype uh, with the potential to compete with lithium-ion batteries that help us use renewable energy to power homes and cars. Ah, well, uh, again, these are the sort of these are the sort of uh, stories I really like. Um, as per usual, it's five to ten years out. <laughs> um it's always five to ten years away however they have a working prototype uh, of this proton batteries which could be more environmentally uh, environmentally friendly cheaper store more energy than lithium-ion ones and uh this is due to the carbon electrode and the protons from water apparently uh so there we go uh there's not a lot to say about that it's yet another uh, possible breakthrough in battery technology um no doubt the how they make it work is probably incredibly clever and complicated but uh well i just think that's great you know i think it's great too i'm looking forward to a uh, more powerful iphone that only needs to be charged once a week <laughs> uh, i'm looking forward according to that story i'm looking for you know forward to an iphone that you uh, charge up by pouring a you know a cup of water into it with a small funnel <laughs> <laughs> you take your iPhone and your Apple Watch and you put it in a cup of water yep. overnight and then, that, and then that'll recharge it. That's charged up. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> so that's a, that's a techno story. Uh, I, I do like stories about batteries and things. It's always good to keep an eye on, on what's coming. Five to ten years away, as ever. But uh, yes, there we go. Oh, well, this, this one amused me. This one, I have to admit, this one here, again on security. Uh, apparently, cyber criminals only honour half of ransomware payments. Uh, this came from IT Pro. Um, guess what? You know, uh, criminals don't always do what they say. <laughs> Who'd have thought That's it? Really, Who'd have thought yeah, it? Yeah, really, really surprising. Uh, yeah. Um, victims still don't get their files decrypted after they have sent money, says report. Well, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> there, there, there you go. I mean, there's, there's not a lot more to say about that. Uh, what? You know, criminals who lock up your machine and demand demand a ransom uh, aren't always telling the truth when they say if you give them money, they'll unlock it. Uh, so there you go. Uh, just defend yourself in the first place and then paying the ransom doesn't always get you out of the doo-doo. Who'd have... Right, you need to reduce your vulnerability profile by practicing safe surfing yes indeed and also of course making sure you have a proper working backup there we go uh absolutely always have a proper working backup and as dr max said to us also make sure it works mm -hmm. there we go another public service announcement from the essential apple podcast <laughs> I think we've pretty much covered everything, unless there's any more stories in there, Bob, that take your fancy. I think uh, I think we've covered the uh, the notes pretty well, Simon. There's a link here, actually, one I will do, which is in the Worth a Chirp Essential Tips. Now, this one uh, is from the Cult of Mac. 
um, and it's called Give Your Finder Windows Superpowers. Now, this is one of these things that I've read, and I know all the things in this, and I'm not I'm not uh, trying to be big-headed about that. I know uh, nearly all of these tips and tricks, but sometimes it's easy to um, sometimes it's easy to forget that not everybody knows all of these things. So this article has a list of tips about the Finder and the View menu. Uh, for example. You know, do you know that the, you can show a path bar at the bottom of your Finder window so that when you, uh, you know, have a document open, it will show you the path all the way, you know, of all the uh, hierarchical folders and you can use that to navigate back up the chain. Um, you can have a status bar, which actually uh, harks back to the old, uh, well, the classic system where you, you have a bar at the bottom of your window that shows you how much of your hard drive is filled up. Um, you can put tools into the, what I like to call the shelf, um, something a lot of people don't know, as well as the dock. You can put items in the top bar of your finder windows. That's one I use a lot. To, I put things like the calculator and the terminal up there. Um, so there you go. That's a, an article with some helpful tips on things you can do, uh, and also how to use the how to use the views. You know, uh, command one will give you the icon view. Command two will give you the list view. Command three will give you the uh, I don't know the column view, and command four will give you the uh, what's it called the, the slideshow view. It's always it's always good to read through tips like that because even if you know them, you find yourself, oh yeah, I did know that, but I've yep. I haven't used that in a long time. Maybe I should try to use it again. Yeah, true. Um, and the other one which I use all the time, and so many people I speak to don't know, and that's the quick view. You know, select an item in the finder and press the space bar, and you can have a look at the document. That, I use that all the time, and yet so many people I I know either never use it or don't even know it exists. Much underused mm -hmm. that one. Quick look. I love quick look. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Right. Oh, okay. So, uh, I guess we'll wrap the show up then, Bob. Uh, would you like to uh, shill yourself in whatever ways you have to shill, be that your Instagram or your um, Twitter or anywhere else that uh, people can find you? Well, I, I don't tweet, but people can find out more about me at uh, my website, which is thinkbob.com, and my photography website, which is dangerousbob.photography. And also, I would put on put a plug in for my local Macintosh user group, tmug t m u g dot com. Oh, oh, that's excellent. Uh, and we are, of course, Essential Apple. Uh, there's an at Essential Apple tweet. Uh, I am at Serenak s e r e n a k. Mark is at Ocean Speed. If you want to follow him, although I don't think he's very active on Twitter. Uh, as a show, of course, we have uh, we have the EssentialApple.com uh, website, and uh, I also post stuff on G Plus. So uh, thank you very much for joining me, Bob. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. It's been a fun time. Right. And I uh, think we'll just sign off now. So goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We are part of the MyMac.com podcasting network, where you can find such excellent shows as Guy and Gaz on the MyMac show, Tim and David on the Tech Fan show, The Three Geeky Ladies, The Geekiest Show Ever, uh, the excellent Bart Bouchotts with his Let's Talk, the Club Nintendo, and many, many more. This is Optimus Prime calling all Autobots. Prime to all Autobots. A new tech fan podcast has been released. Return to base immediately so that we can all enjoy the humans talking about technology. Repeat, Optimus Prime to all Autobots. A new tech fan podcast from Spotlight Network has been released. Return to base immediately. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.
then there we go, Bob. It was uh, it was very interesting. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Simon. No problem. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. I do have one question. Yeah, though. sure. It's um, define Bob's your uncle for me. <laughs> Bob's your uncle. It's uh, oh, it is a British colloquialism. It's, it's a bit like um, uh, it's like, uh, and there you go. Okay. It's a kind of uh, you know, good times, kaching. Yeah, you know, it's like do that and it's done. It's a good one. Job's a good one. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> right. Well, I'll let you get on with your Sunday, Bob. Thank you very much. <laughs>